Would you please join me for a word of prayer? May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Bless the proclamation of your gospel among your people this morning and strengthen and fortify us as children of God that we might hold on to what we can hold on to in the world, which is for sure, and find rest for our souls. This we ask in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, I almost didn't make it back. There's a bunch of crazy people over in the auditorium. Now, don't get crazy, but they have guitars and drums over there. It's a little bit much, but they were singing All My Fountains Are In You, which is probably my current favorite praise song. It just rips, and they were over there praising God. A couple of people put their hands in the air. I know, I know. It's all good. It would be interesting to do that, to see if anyone would just explode spontaneously if you did that in a, in a Lutheran church. It's so funny. It's kind of, right, it's kind of funny. I am emoting. I mean, it's just good. It's, I do feel good. Just funny. How about Pastor Trevor's sermon last week, huh? Yeah. It was just an outstanding job. A lot of churches uh, that, that I'm, you know, now I'm old, and uh, the, the churches are looking for guys like Pastor Trevor and Pastor Mike, and you just don't find them. You raise them up. And we've raised up some fine, fine pastors, Pastor Singer, Pastor Kubo, uh, Pastor, Pastor Trevor, Pastor Mike. I mean, it's just Tanner Wade is in his fourth year at the seminary right now. I mean, we, there's something in our DNA that is really, really helpful. And I'm not sure if it's the tenacity of the will where, where we, we don't quit until we got it done. And, and I don't know that that's part of it. St. John's has very high standards. Uh, other churches, they'll say, hey, that's good. It's good enough. We never say that. I mean, very seldom if ever. And that's not driven by me. That's driven by you guys. That's the culture of our church. Is we're going to do something, we're going to do it well. We're not going to just mess around. I mean, case in point, the handbells and the choir. Bill didn't just give you your music this morning and said, let the spirit reign. It's all good, right? It's all over you. So... Trevor's message, and, and he wrote this series, and he wrote the next one, and that's why they're so good. We're talking about those aha moments in life, and this morning we stop in Matthew chapter 3 and talk about the aha moment of, of Jesus' baptism. Now, I don't know about your family, but in my family, we, 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 we have little inside things that we say to one another, and little looks where you kind of wink and nod, and, and the, no one else will understand what's going on, but the Klinkenberg understands what's going on. And, you know, I stole all of these. I'm not smart enough to make them up. But one of the things that we'll say is, no one cares how much you know until they know how much you care. And when someone says, you know, I know this and I know that and I got to do this, mostly it's when you tell somebody else to do what to do, which I will say when someone in my family says, you know what you need to do? You need to, I'll go, you know, that sounds an awful lot like you're telling me what to do. And then their face turns red or white, or they go, (laughs) telling you what to do. This is a great, this is one of the things we say in our family. You don't know what you don't know. Now, it's not meant to put someone off. It's not meant to, to be an insult. It's just a matter of fact. You don't know what you don't know. You might think you know what you don't know, but you don't know what you don't know. And typically, this comment comes down when we're ready to make a judgment about what somebody else has said or done. 
And my wife, just a week ago, looks at me and she says, Tim, we need to remember, we don't know what we don't know about this situation. She's 100% right. What I can see and what I perceive and what I get is in one level, and then there's the level that I don't know. Now, I didn't invent that, right? That's not something that I, uh, I'm not smart enough, but my friend uh, who's sitting here this morning gave me the book, and he said, Tim, you've got to read this. And I couldn't put this book down. Uh, a book called The Black Swan by a guy named uh, Nassim Nicholas Taleb. He's a calculus guy, a, a math professor, brilliant guy, kind of sardonic, kind of sarcastic. And his book says there are events called black swans. In the context of our sermon series, we would call them aha moments. Except a black swan is like a yah, uh, aha moment on steroids. Talab says that a, a black swan moment is a, is a moment or an episode in history that no one can predict. It just kind of is dropped in your lap. That once it's dropped in your lap, it adversely affects people to the point where things in their lives and the flow of their life is never the same, never the same again. And then after the event comes and goes, all the brilliant people said, well, we saw that coming a mile away, even though they really, really did it. So let me take you a little bit through a black swan moment, an aha moment. My grandparents from northern Wisconsin were raised during the Great Depression. The Great Depression was a black swan moment. When the market died in November of 1929, nobody thought or saw how big and how grand that was going to be. Everybody said, man, you know, it's a phase. It's going to work its way out. And that was wrong. And there were any amount of factors that went with the, with the Great Depression, like the Dust Bowl and those pieces, the unemployment, the, the bank, you know, on and on and on. And as the black swan unrolled for my grandparents in northern Wisconsin, their lives changed and their habits were formed or reformed by that event. Here's what I mean. Grandma kept in her basement more food than you would need to feed our whole church for two weeks. She canned. She would say, we need to go get, uh, Tim, you need to go down and get some tomatoes. And we would say, well, there's no can of Hunt's tomatoes. What are you bringing? And she would say, well, I canned the tomatoes, and they're in a mason jar on the south side, and you'd go down there, and there's 8,000 jars of tomatoes, applesauce, green beans. Um, she made her own soap. She collected the styrofoam under tray of uh, hamburger. She kept uh, tin foil. She kept pie tins. And when you ask her why, she would say, well, you never know when you're going to need that, right? No one really predicted the depth of the Great Depression. But my grandparents, who were never wealthy people ever, lived such a frugal lifestyle because of where they had been. And they formed their patterns no matter what. Grandpa never had an ounce of debt, ever. When he bought a Chevrolet Citation in about 1983 or 84 from my Uncle Bob, you thought he hung the moon. And if you Google Chevy Citation, you'll go, you've got to be kidding me. <laughs> That's the black swan. That's the aha moment. You don't know what you don't know about somebody's life and somebody's faith. And we don't know what we don't know about what's happening going forward into the future. 
And so we come to a black swan moment in the life of Jesus, Matthew chapter 3. And you may want to have your bulletin out and kind of follow along in the scriptures because I'm going to go into this one and I'm going to go into the Romans chapter 6 one for a little bit and then I'm going to go into the Isaiah 42 one, which uh, you'll, you'll see. This is Matthew chapter 3. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? Jesus replied, let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. John consented. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Now, I had to laugh because when I got that book, I thought that my friend had read it all the way through. And I knew that in my heart. And I go, dude, on page 185, did you read that thing? And he goes, Tim, I only read the first 50 pages of that book. And then he told me this morning that he read the whole thing. So I feel kind of stupid saying that. But, right, confusion of you don't know what you don't know, right? You, 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 don't, you don't know. We don't know all the great deep mysteries of God, but we do know what we do know, and that is that Jesus was baptized, and he wasn't baptized for the forgiveness of sins. He was baptized as he was christened by his father for his ministry to take away the sins of the world, and when the Lord delivers this through the spirit of St. Matthew, he didn't want you to be confused. He wants you to make sure that in the ins and outs of the things that you don't know in your life, that you know Jesus and that you are rock solid with your feet on the foundation of Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. There is no question about who he is. The voice came from heaven and said, this one is my son. He's the one. Don't sleep through it. Don't get too caught up in it. This Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. And he's going through this process of baptism by John to fulfill all righteousness so that you could be sure so that at the end of the day, when you look back at the previous year and you say, these aha moments were really hard and I'm not sure and I don't know and I don't understand why and how and how they link together, that you point to Jesus and say, I maybe didn't do it all, but he did. And you can't punch a hole in that ministry. Well, you know, he wasn't baptized. Oh, yes, he was. Well, you know, he didn't come and heal the sick. Oh, yes, he did. He didn't raise the dead. Oh, yes, he did. And he unstopped the ears of the deaf and he opened the eyes of the blind. Jesus came to fulfill all righteousness for you and me. So that when we stand before heaven's gate, Jesus doesn't say, well, I hope you got some righteousness left. Rather, he comes to us and says, I've fulfilled all righteousness and you belong to me. And I belong to my father in heaven. And I have his favor. He is the one. I love in Matthew's gospel over and over again that, that the angel comes and talks to the person and then Matthew writes, and this was written, this was done to fulfill the prophets saying, da-da-da-da-da-da. So the angel comes to Joseph and says, don't divorce Mary, it's all good, I got this. The baby inside of her is from the Holy Spirit. He said, and then you will name him Jesus because he will save his people from their sin. 
No confusion about that. The aha moment, the black swan of Jesus' baptism puts us on a solid foundation, knowing here and knowing here that we belong to God through Jesus Christ. No sins from the past come back to get you. No challenge in the future is so grand that you can't move through it with Jesus at your side. You see, we don't know what we don't know, but we do know what we do know. Who Jesus is, the purpose for which he's come, and the fulfillment of that purpose. He's come to save you, to save us from our sins. I love that piece. So that's what it's all about, sitting at the beginning of a new year. I'm not sure about the past. I'm certainly not sure about the future. But I do know who my Savior is. And so those words from Romans 6 are powerful. This is, Paul is not a, a Mr. Prang. I don't know if you know Hal, but Hal comes from Louisiana. And when he read this at the early church, he thundered it out like George Patton talking to the troops. And he had kind of the, 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 the Louisiana brogue going on. And he said, Bury! You're buried with Christ. Yeah, I feel like I'm buried with Christ. The way you read it was awesome. Paul's language here is unequivocal. Paul's language here is the strongest it could possibly be. He said, shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? And then someone read, oh no, we died to sin or how can we live in it any longer? No, the sense of the language and the grammar in that is this. Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? No! No! We have died to sin. And then Paul goes in, verse, in verses 3 through 6, these. Or don't you know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death. In order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall also certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. Can I get an amen? Amen. amen. Every single funeral I've ever, ever done, I've read that scripture. Why? Because in the midst of so much uncertainty about why this person died and how they died and how it's going to go and how the future is going to be, we hold on to the rock-solid promise of God. If we've been united with him in a death like his, you're absolutely right. We're united with him in a resurrection like his. That promise. You are linked not just to the great cosmic beyond so that somehow you can be more self-aware. You are baptized into the death of Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. That God doesn't hold your sins of the past against you. Nor does he look in the future and say, man, you're going to be a disaster this year. We are connected to the death of Jesus Christ, to his sacrifice for the forgiveness of all of our sins. Things I don't know about that. Right. I don't know the chemical balance of Jesus' body and the pH level of the blood that came out of his hands. But I do know that on that cross, Jesus died for us all of us and all of our sins. I know what I know and so do you through the word of God. So I'm not going to doubt that. But I'm going to find confidence and rest and peace in the grace of Jesus for me and you on the cross. And we're baptized into the resurrection of Jesus as well. 
the hope of life eternal is ours in Christ. And that's an aha moment. You don't know what you don't know about all the stuff going on in the world and where your life's heading today and most certainly where your life's heading tomorrow. But you do know at the end of this pilgrimage, at the end of this journey, that the door of heaven swings open to you. How do you know? Well, I've been baptized into Christ. And that's how I know. God took the promise of the scripture and his heart with the water of holy baptism and married them and applied it to me. And that's how I know. But you're so unequivocal, Pastor. Right. When St. Paul recants on Romans 6, then I'll go a different direction. But until then, we'll proclaim with great confidence the life and death of Jesus applied to us in the water and the promise of our baptism. That's why it's so important. Churches sit and argue about it. For me, it's as simple as can be. Through baptism, you're tied to the cross in the open tomb. End of story. You know what you know. One more little piece. I love my timer here. I've preached six minutes and 56 seconds. Kickoff for the game this afternoon isn't until 3.40, so we got a lot of stuff to go. <laughs> go, back, go. Although I'm not sure they want to play the 49ers after they destroyed the Vikings last night. The word of the Lord from Isaiah 42 says this. A bruised reed he will not break. And a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. Some people are in church this morning. And you feel like that bruised reed. And if you Google that, bring images up. It's the picture of, a, of like a reed of papyrus by a, a pond broken over. The Messiah did not come to finish the job of breaking the reed. That's not God's heart. He doesn't come with an iron boot to crush the plant that's struggling. The sense of this verse and the sense of of, of who God is, is that he stands that up and he binds it up and he nurtures it back. Sometimes that bruised reed is is us in our lives, whether it's circumstance or heart or people or integrate or whatever, right? The, the, The black swan. He doesn't come to finish us off. He comes to enfold us in his love. He comes to heal the sick, to bind up the brokenhearted, to fill in valleys, to straighten out crooked paths, to mow down mountains to open the ears of the deaf and the eyes of the blind, to bring healing to those who are hurting. That promise is ours in Jesus. That promise delivered in the words of our baptism. Sometimes I like to watch the survivor shows and I like when they have to get fire. Sometimes they can build the shelter and they get the water and then they don't get the fire and they have to tap out and they're in bad shape. I love how you get the smoldering wick out of the drill that comes out and and they have a nest and and the little embers are in there and they blow in them and all of a sudden, boom, and they put it down, little sticks, little sticks, little sticks, and they build it up and it's beautiful. 
All of a sudden, there's the glow in the faces, the warmth, and, and then they can cook their snail or their snake or whatever they're going to eat. And... <laughs> See, the Lord doesn't come to blow out your embers. He doesn't come to pour water on the embers of your soul. Rather, he comes to engulf them and put them in his hands and blow his breath of life upon them so that that kindles the fire of his love for you. That's our Jesus, who Isaiah is speaking of there in Isaiah 42, is Jesus. He comes to heal, and he comes to protect and preserve. And the beauty of that, power of that is yours. Not in some wild, mystical, weird, bizarre way, but as the water and the word of baptism are united, and he strengthens that reed, and he protects those embers, and he visits us with his love. You've been baptized into Christ. You might not know what you don't know, but boy, going forward into the next 50 weeks of this year, you know what you know in the name of Jesus.